Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We're going to go to the scripture today. We're going to the Gospel of Luke. So I invite you to grab your Bibles, your devices. We're going to go to the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be looking from the Gospel of Luke. We're in the... we're. We're coming towards the middle of our series, which is doing life together. And we're just committing this year to that one theme, that life is better done together. So in doing that, we want to, today, we're looking at the theme, personal time with God. These weeks that we're in right now, we're talking specifically about prayer. So if you have it there, Luke chapter 10, verse 38, follow along with me. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Mary was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? I'm going to just pause there. Isn't that a strange thing to say to Jesus? Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now we're going to spend a bit more time on Wednesday unpacking this text in our Doing Life Together Zoom connection. And again, invite you to join if you haven't in the times past. Join on Wednesday. You can join Wednesday morning, Wednesday evening. You can go to our website, auroracornerstone.ca, and go to Doing Life Together. It will give an invitation to that particular Zoom. I want to draw attention to some of the things from this text right here, beginning with Martha and Mary. And Martha is doing some legitimate business. And I know there's a lot of us always have struggled with this story because we feel the pain in Martha. We feel the pain. You get the picture here. You get the picture of the sister sitting and Martha up doing the work. And it said she was uh, doing the preparations that had to be made. I mean, these preparations were important. They were necessary. So she goes to Jesus and she complains. She goes to Jesus and aren't you, um, he goes to Jesus, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that my sisters left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her, reprimand her. She won't listen to me, but Lord, she'll listen to you. You know how you're going to pull out the, the big guns here. She'll listen to you. And if you tell her, she'll smarten up and get back in place. But Jesus' response, and this is what we want to pick up on, Jesus' response, Martha, Martha. When he he uses that, we don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean he repeated the name, you know, Martha, 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 Martha. He didn't, you know, not necessarily. It means he put emphasis behind the name. I'm not sure if I have this accurate, but I think it would have been something like this. Oh, Martha. I think that, you know, kind of, have you ever had that said to you? I've had it done, you know, oh, Wayne. As a matter of fact, I think my wife, she's laughing because she does that a lot. And I think that was the emphasis here. It was, 
Oh, Martha. And then he just brings clarification. You're worried and upset about many things. Note the part. You're worried and upset. And this is going to fall right into our theme here today. You're worried and upset. And you got to keep that in check. Jesus is calling her on it. Martha, you've got to watch that. That the serving's good. But this problem where you are having issues with your sister is bigger than just her not serving alongside you. The issue has now turned into something in your spirit. Note he says, you are worried and upset about many things. But, here it is, few things are needed. Yeah, he goes on, indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better. Note the part, and it will not be taken away from her. What does that mean? You see, you can prepare for food and your guests come. I mean, we know this, those of us who prepare food. Your guests come, maybe not so much in these days of COVID-19, but when you have that big family gathering, Christmas gathering, if it was a normal Christmas, or Thanksgiving gathering, if it was a normal Thanksgiving, and you spend hours preparing the food, you purchased it, you put the menus together, you, you prepared it, you know, you set things out the night before, you spent hours preparing, putting it on the table, and, you know, that's good. But you know what it's like when it's all done, people get up and they walk away and they pat their stomach, it's a mess. I mean, just now you spend almost that much time cleaning up and getting everything back into place again. And it can be overwhelming. It can bring you the sense that, well, it's over. All that for this. So much work just for this. And making mention, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. Mary, there was a moment that Jesus was giving some instructions and Mary knew that she needed to enter into kingdom business in that moment. She had a choice. And Jesus even said that. Mary chose what's better. She made a decision. And she made a choice that she needed to enter into kingdom business right now. So it wasn't a reprimand that you shouldn't do the work of serving, because you do. But there is a time in which we need to recognize that kingdom business can never be taken from you. He says it will not be taken from her. What she is doing will last a lifetime. And I'm going to suggest even beyond her own life. And Martha, what you're doing will last the day. This leads into their topic, personal time with God. If we don't cut out with priority, personal time with God, events and priorities of this world, note the part the distractions he calls. He says it's the cares around you. These things will grab hold of you because they scream at you. And we'll lose sight of kingdom business. There's something about understanding we need to be doing kingdom business. And this is really the, the focus that we have been talking here is kingdom business. And I just want to put just a, a notation here that I've added to the series that I'm on right now. Uh, doing life together in the series on praying, I've added a, uh, a subsequent teaching called spiritual warfare. I'm a strong advocate of spiritual warfare. I believe there's a time to say peace, peace. And there's a time to say I'm at battle and I need to take my place and not be passive, not just whatever and be lethargic in my approach to spiritual warfare. 
I want to suggest there's a time that I need to recognize, and I'm going to say it's frequent, and we are living in those days, that we need to do business with God, not not do business with God. You know, I can, I can do all the things in life, and they can be good, and I can do good things, and I can do godly things. But there's times where I need to, and a lot, times where I need to go into battle with my Lord. We've got business to do. And he won't do it because he's told us that he comes into a place in agreement with his children. He asks us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. He's asked us, that's, our, that's my job. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I have to enter into that agreement with him. That's kingdom business, that's spiritual warfare. And so I've been putting this out. I put it on our Facebook, our Instagram. It's also on our website as of this past week. You can go on our website to sermons and we put another link in there. It's called spiritual warfare. And I added one, I'm gonna be putting another one up this week. And I'm calling it the weapons of war because if there's war, there are weapons. And the weapons of war, and you see them here, the weapons of war, the word of God, the name of Jesus, and the blood of Jesus. And as you see here, the weapons, the word of God, the word of God, the Bible says is powerful. It has the power of life and death, God's word. And based on his word, we need to declare that word, live it, believe it, and then declare it. And then the name of Jesus, and I'm going to be putting that one on this week. The name of Jesus is not just J-E-S-U-S. -S, it's much more than that. It is taking our position and identity with Christ. What does that mean? That's a weapon. And then the blood of Jesus. The, you've heard the expression, there is power in the blood. Now, that simply doesn't mean that there's life. We know there's life in the blood, but it's more than that. Of what Jesus did and his blood shed, there is power. And it's called redemptive power through reconciliation. And in that, there's power in the blood. You can actually apply that to situations. But they all need to be released in some way. And our series is releasing it in the first way. I call them launch pads to the weapons. Number one is the launch pad of prayer. And that's what we're talking about today. Prayer releases the word. It releases the authority and identity in the name. And it releases the, the power of the blood. Also, we know that preaching does it, or proclamation. Me just sharing this morning launches God's word. What I'm doing this morning launches the power of our identity and who we are in Christ. And I'll, seek, I'll frequently circle around who we are in Christ, because I think we don't hear it enough. And what the blood has done for us. We also recognize praise and worship is another launch pad. I just don't sing as a warm-up to the message. Worship, praise particularly, breaks through barriers. Praise is a powerful launch pad to release the Word of God. Many times we, when we sing, we did this morning, we were singing God's Word. The blessing, for instance, is singing God's Word. When we sing, we also want to proclaim who Jesus is power of his name. And also we want to never forget songs around the cross of Christ, him crucified and risen. And last but not least, it's the testimony is another launch pad. Testimony is a launch pad that when I testify, it says it defeats the accuser of the brethren. When I speak of what he has done for me, things just begin to break off. When we testify, we frequently are 
entering into a, a conversation of thanksgiving and thanksgiving. You can't be thankful and not have faith. I'm going to suggest you can't have faith and not be thankful. Thanksgiving is a release of faith that God is faithful to complete what he has begun. So we're going to we unpackage that. That's all you're going to hear from that. Today I want to talk before there's a number of action steps that I'm going to be sharing shortly as to how God fulfills the answers to our prayer, the process. But before we do that, there are hindrances, blockages, stumbling blocks that hinder our prayers from being answered. And if we don't deal with them, we can pray until, okay, I grew up in the farm. We can pray until the cattle come home and it won't matter. We need to deal with what the blockages are. So I'm going to talk about the first one. Last week we mentioned sin. Sin is the very first one. I, I put it there strategically because when we enter before God, we need to just pause, search my heart, God, is there anything that is in the way? And sometimes there is. Frequently throughout the day, we just dirty ourselves with things of this world and of our heart and of our attitude. And so just to stop there long enough, and the principle is an Old Testament principle. The priest, before he did anything in the presence of God, dealt with his sin and dealt with the sins of the people. We just need to pause. God, prayer is hindered if I don't. As a matter of fact, we know that in Isaiah 59, 2, your sins have hidden his face from you. The second one here is guilt. So these all three are related. Because the enemy, when you come before God and you with sincerity of heart ask him to forgive you, he forgives you. But if the enemy can't get you to not ask for forgiveness, he will then get you to believe that it doesn't really matter. You're still guilty. You, you can't believe that. That's a lie. Because God's word says in Romans 8, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't have to feel guilty if we have come before him in confession. Our guilt is removed. So you go with boldness and confidence before his presence. And of course, the third one here is inferiority. Inferiority, we spend a bit of time with that one because it's where we don't think that we are worthy to ask what we are about to ask. We feel unworthy. And that again is a lie. We can't believe that. I talked about that last week. I spent a lot of time on that last week because this is a big one. Feeling inferior. We feel like, oh, we, we just need to be beggars before God. And so listen to your prayers. If your prayers are frequented with words of please, oh Lord, I beg you. You don't need to do that. You don't have to twist the arm of a reluctant father. Your father delights to give you the pleasures that are his and yours. And I use the illustration of Luke chapter 15. Go to it at the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son did not have to be a servant. He thought he did. But the father who represents our father stopped him and says, no, you're a son. And gave him and reestablished him in full son, the inheritance possessions, and the royalty of his son. And so are you and I. We are not inferior, because if we approach him with inferiority, we approach him with a lack of faith. We have an agreement that God has set up, and he delights to, to enter into that agreement. You need to believe it, so go to last week if you weren't there. And I think it's worth repeating. 
that we could come with assurance. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let me back that up. Do it the opposite way. If you want to receive mercy and find grace in your time of need, then you need to approach God's throne through grace and confidence. There it is. So this week I want to do three more. And again, these three are related to each other. So I've, I've, I've brought them together so that they relate to each other. And the first one, this is another hindrance, is when you have unforgiveness in your heart. Unforgiveness is huge. All these are huge, but unforgiveness is a big one. In our ministry of Cleansing Stream ministry, we will frequently go back to areas. If there's a blockage, if we're struggling, we'll go back to unforgiveness. There's typically something that we need to let go and release. Not always, but most of the time. You can't get what you don't give. If you don't give forgiveness, how can you expect to receive the blessings that flow through your forgiveness? Mark eleven twenty five, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, note that, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father may forgive you. You see the relation? If you don't forgive them, you can't be forgiven. And we know that's right in the Lord's Prayer, that forgive us as we have, for, in like manner, as we have forgiven others. There's a story that some of you may know, The End of the Spear. It's a documentary, and you could probably find it. You can get it on YouTube, I know. And I actually had a copy. I think I lent it out, and I don't know where it was. I got looking for it this week, and ah, oh well. It's out there. Somebody's enjoying it. But End of the Spear is a documentary of a true story of the power of forgiveness. As seen in the life of missionaries Jim Elliott and his widow, would become widow, Elizabeth Elliott. Jim and Elizabeth were married, this is a number of years ago, and they became missionaries to the tribal people of Ecuador. After years of prayer, training, and planning, Jim and fellow missionaries flew into a tribal people in Ecuador to share the love of Jesus and the redemptive story of God. But through the sequence of events, the people turned and thought them as a threat and killed the missionaries. The missionaries flew in on a little uh, Piper plane and they were killed. They were killed, they were speared. The tribal group was very uh, primitive and they were speared. Their bodies were later discovered. One of them, of course, was Jim Elliott. His wife, Elizabeth, was left with a young family, was left with um, nothing. Her husband had been killed. And she faced the decision as all the wives had to face. Will I allow this to grow in a spirit of bitterness? They'd given everything to try to help these people, only to have them taken from her. She chose to forgive. It wasn't easy, but she chose to forgive. And this beautiful story at the end of the spirit talks about how she would continue the work of her husband and she would continue the work of reaching these tribal people in the Ecuadorian mountains and, and the areas where the mission was being established. And what a beautiful picture of forgiveness as she would see many come to Christ 
on the blood, at the blood of her own husband. There was also a young boy, his name was Steve Saint. He was just a young boy, his dad was Nate. And Nate, Steve's dad, was the pilot of the plane that flew them in. And Nate, too, was killed on the day that Jim Elliott was killed. Little Steve, he loved his dad with everything. He, he pictured, you see in the, in the documentary, he would go around with a little model plane. He wanted to be just like his dad. But his dad was killed violently. Steve would grow up. Steve now had a choice. Steve, would you forgive them who killed your father? Well, Steve would. And he would later discover that the man who killed his father's name was Min Kay. Steve would reach out to Min Kay. He would love on Min Kay. Min Kay would come to salvation. Min Kay and Steve began to learn the language and customs of each other. Steve then took Min Kay on to be his own dad. Steve said, my dad is gone. Would you be my dad and I'll be your son? And so they traveled the world together. You see the picture. They traveled the world together as son and father, the spirit of forgiveness. You, now you have to admit, that's the most amazing story. I want you to imagine though, what, how this story would have turned out differently had the wives not forgiven. How would this story turned out differently had Stephen chose not to forgive? They, between those two guys, they would see tens of thousands of people come into salvation through the power of forgiveness. Oh, friends, our story might not be as great as that story, but I wanna tell you there's power in forgiveness. And there's a story at the other end of your forgiveness. And if you choose not to forgive, if you choose not to release and let go, then your prayers will be hindered and your effectiveness will be dampened. We cannot harbor unforgiveness. Our prayers are hindered. So I ask you, unforgiveness is one of those sneaky things. It sneaks up on you. It stays with you when we thought we were good. And then, oh, where did that come from? It's back. Maybe towards your husband or your wife. Maybe to your ex-husband or your ex-wife. Maybe it's towards another family member. Maybe a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Somebody who has made you angry. And every time you think of them, that residue anger comes back again. I want to suggest that that's happening. You need to get the poison of unforgiveness out. How about someone at your job site who wronged you? Yeah, they were to blame. They wronged you. You need to release them. What about a church member who hurts you? There's people who've left church, and some of you have left a church. Some of you have not talked to people from previous situations because of unforgiveness. What about someone who owes you money from years ago? Issues of forgiveness. Now remember, these things will block your prayer life because you're nurturing an unforgiving spirit. Don't give the devil a foothold. Refuse to do that. You know how you get your foot in the door? It's hard to get it out. Don't give the devil a foothold. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 tells us that if we do not forgive, we actually give the devil a foothold. Jesus would make it clear in the parable of Matthew 18 of the unforgiving servant that if you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven. We need to resolve the issue of forgiveness. It's a big one. So how are you doing? The second one relates to unforgiveness and it's bitterness. Bitterness is another hindrance to your prayers. Holman translation in Psalm 66, 18 says, 
if I had been aware of malice in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now, malice is a form of bitterness. This is the type where it's very secret. It's you don't see it. You don't even often know it's there. It's like jealousy growing unchecked. You smile on the outside, but on the inside, you can't stand them. Smile, but I can't stand you. And God says that if you willfully hold these things in your heart towards them, in your heart, it won't matter how much or how long you pray. He won't hear you. Ephesians 4, 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. No, these are all forms of malice. Let me, let me do it at verse 31. Get rid of. Now, he didn't say he was going to take it from you. He will. But you have to choose to get rid of it. You've got a part to play. Get rid of. You get rid of all bitterness. He will help. Rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Now, he tells you what to do. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Did you note that? Just as in Christ God forgave you. God did all this for you. You can do it for others. You can do it. Is there malice that grows into a root of bitterness in your heart? Your prayers would be hindered. Unforgiveness, bitterness. The third one is broken family relationships. And again, these all relate to one another. For example, between what should be loved ones, there is instead aggressive animosity. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Back it up. This is not just about husbands. It's a, it's a directive to husbands. But we can, Paul was speaking to husbands, but the principle can be applied to all family relationships. Be considerate. Treat with respect and heirs with as the gracious gift of life. Because if you don't, your prayers are hindered. As believers, the Spirit of God dwells within us. And we need to represent that. We need to demonstrate that God is alive in us. We need to show that to others. Here's a good scripture that relates to that in Psalms 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Aren't you thankful he's the God you serve? He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor, nor will he harbor anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Praise God for that. I'm thankful that he's not just a judge, but he's also merciful. But that's who he is. Note this. He's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, slow to anger. <laughs> And abounding in love. I picture mountains of love. He just, he keeps loving. And even though you don't deserve it, he keeps loving. He will not always accuse. He won't harbor his anger forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our sins or iniquities. Listen, we are to demonstrate the very same thing. We're to be this to others. Here's the point. 
if we can't be this to others, our prayers cannot be answered. If the love of Jesus, and if it's not flowing through me, then my prayers are hindered. So it deals with relationships and bad relationships with those who are near us. We need to demonstrate this. Matthew chapter 5, 23. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Note the part. The gift is good. It's all about giving. Our lives are about giving and giving. The gift is good. But the gift will not mean anything if you, at that moment, there's still the issues of unforgiveness, malice and bitterness, and broken relationships. And so as you give your gifts, as you demonstrate generosity, you give to the work of the Lord, you give to the kingdom, you return of your tithe, you give of alms, you reach out and you bless the poor. As you give and you care for others, you need to make sure that there's good relationship, there's good blood flowing. You need to represent how he represents to himself to you, that it flows out of that you to others. And if it's not, then pause. I discovered this many times when I move into the area, giving is one of the most godly things because it's, it's supernatural in many ways. Giving is being unselfish. So as I give and I give sacrificially, as I give many times the Holy Spirit at that moment, because it's a good thing to give, the Holy Spirit's like, whoa, stop. This is good, but there's something you have to fix first. Fix it. Then come back. And let's continue on. You know you can't outgive God. This, you know the laws of, of uh, sowing and reaping. And so it's good to sow because you will reap. You will reap a bountiful harvest. He wants you to be blessed. That's why he stops you and says, whoa, there's a blockage here. Go and deal with this. Then continue to give. <laughs> so I want to close. That God would reveal these things maybe to our hearts in regard to unforgiveness bitterness, or broken family relationships. I want to pray a prayer here as we close. And the prayer is for all of us. And I'm going to invite you to join me in praying this prayer in just a moment. But as we pray this prayer, this prayer is a prayer to release these three things. And so we're going to be doing it together if you're in your living rooms or your kitchen or bedrooms, wherever you might be. I invite you to just say this prayer along with me. Just say it. But say it, could you just, if it resonates in your heart, just let there be an amen as you say it. And then at the end, we'll just uh, break out into our rooms and I'll give you some further instructions. So let's say the prayer together. This is our take home. Ready? Lord, everybody together. Lord, I thank you for your redeeming grace and goodness in my life. Thank you for gently but relentlessly showing me areas where I have allowed blockages to freedom, healing, and answered prayer. Come and heal my heart so I may be the person you created me to be. Then, as I step with confidence into the place of authority you have given me, I ask for wisdom and discernment to pray effectively to those you entrust to me. As I fill my mind and life with your word, may I quickly recognize when the enemy is trying to deceive me with his lies. I pray you 
for your faithfulness to me, and I choose to continue to place my faith only in you and your plans for me. May my life be a representation of who you are to all those around me. In Jesus' name, can you say amen to that? I trust that that will be maybe life-altering for you, that we will see effective prayers in our lives. This is something that's ongoing. You just don't do it once. If you have residue coming back, you continue to release those before the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.